0: Rancidity is a a defect of time. All it means is that oil's been around so long that the micronutrients or the phenols that were in it, which act as natural preservatives, are no longer there to preserve the oil. The oil naturally continues to break down and oxidize, fat chains change positions, and that actually has a taste. Hello and welcome
1: to Food Crush, the On Milwaukee podcast for people who eat. As always, I am your co-host Matt Miller, culture editor at OnMilwaukee.com and I am joined as always by Lori Frederick, dining editor at OnMilwaukee.com. How are you doing today, Lori? I'm
2: good, I'm good. I'm hungry right now, so I'm not yeah. sure this is a good time to podcast, but I had this one of happens.
1: those this is this has been one of those days where I decided against eating before doing yeah. food podcasts, which is a really good way for me to gnaw off my own arm yeah. so this yeah. is uh this is probably gonna end great for, bad for my insurance <laughs> well, <laughs> great for my doctor, <laughs> I guess but yeah, you'll be and fine. great for you, the listener, because we have you've, an you've awesome guest today. You've done
2: this for four years, yeah,
1: without knowing. You would have thought top, so. that we would have thought ahead at some point that uh, you know we would have. I would have gotten soup or a snack or something, yeah. but. uh I'm just not a smart human, but you know who is a smart human? Our, Our guest. guest.
2: Our guest today is actually wow. very smart human.
0: That's um. way, it's way too much build up. <laughs> <laughs> I, the, 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 pres- the pressure is going to be figuring out what pairs well with your arm. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. What's <is laughs> the, what the best olive? What's <laughs> the best oil? not no, I don't know. I think
0: what do we? Thinking? We've already <laughs> crossed barriers here that are. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you always <laughs> like yeah. to start
1: a podcast with some good cannibalism talk. That's right. what I right. find. They, tell, right. you right. they yeah. tell you That's that they tell you that in support. podcast
2: school. <laughs> totally yeah. unexpected. Totally yes. unexpected. Yes. So yes, But, but before we before we get too far, um, I should introduce <laughs> our guest. Um, if you know Aura de Aliva in Milwaukee, you may not and know should. Josh. But Josh um, Sayia is the owner of that establishment, um, which specializes in olive oils and vinegars. So Hi there. thank you for coming. Yeah, good to um, join you both. Yeah, you've been, you've been doing this a really long time. I kind of looked back, it's 15 years.
0: I think you you're, you're really close. In fact, that, that, that question gets asked. I had to text uh, Nicole, my wife, and ask, and she said it was 16 years now. Time slides behind. Oh, okay.
2: Because yeah. it's like
0: 2007, maybe? It That's sounds cool. about right. Um, okay. what, what we might be missing a little bit in that is um, when this idea first sprung and we tried uh, our first prototype, it was actually in not in Tulsa like most people remember. It was uh, about a half of a year in Brookfield Square Mall, where we had we had this custom barn beam pergola we set up to test it out. And the whole concept it felt like a standalone store was beyond what we might be uh uh welcome to it, but we we transitioned quickly to Tulsa from there. And that's oh, that's so you, you probably started fifteen as, years. So
2: you had kind of a kiosk, like a
0: an yeah, yeah, and that okay. and that's maybe a little understated. It was this, you know, beautiful Barn Bean Pergola built, you know, structure and people responded well to it. So we moved from the wall to a standalone in uh in Tulsa, in the village.
2: Okay. So Tosa was your was your first store.
0: First um, true store, yeah. Yeah.
2: But the, but the deeper story to me is how does one get into deciding to sell olive oil and vinegar and like where do you even start I mean that's
0: right you know. right well um, one one starts unexpectedly sometimes um, <laughs> and in my history the brief history is my first job and one that I still um am involved in is uh piano work uh piano restorer tuner uh rebuilder and that that started with a curiosity but after starting my own shop um my wife and I were out and about and somebody pulled out a bottle of olive oil from California and a gentleman said hey uh try this it's it's not going to be like what you're used to and um it's it's going to taste like somebody mowed their lawn and <laughs> <laughs> and and if you let a few seconds go by and you swallow some, which is a foreign thought there too, it's going to feel like somebody cracked some pepper in the back of your throat. And so, um, <laughs> all, all these very, and like I did so like, scriptures. there's no way. It's just like some sort of wizard that's promising something that's not possibly going to happen. And I tasted it and it did. It did just that. It happened to be a manzanilla from California. And, and I was so enamored by that. Um, That Nicole and I were literally on an airplane within weeks because it happened to be Northern hemisphere growing season. Accessible was West Coast. So we jumped on a plane. We, we went to San Francisco. We drove north of the bridge into Marin County. And it turns out uh, there were a number of artisanal growers that were starting at that time to try to say, Hey, look, we can, we can make a better product than you're used to. And, um, it tastes a whole lot better. So it just, it was itch that quickly got scratched and it just started the, the, the process of can we bring that experience to milwaukee and and uh, one thing led to the next
1: yeah so you... how for for people who don't know how different is you know genuine olive oils from the kind of stuff that we're used to getting at the store like you know your your classic oils like what 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 is kind of the difference well, maybe what's the difference
0: yeah yeah
1: sure. Sure. <laughs> beyond the grassier taste and potential uh pepper in the back of the throat
0: <laughs> all right well that 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 we could spend a couple hours on alone. let me see if i can get some highlights <laughs> on it. Yeah. um we we in america for decades and decades have been used to what maybe we could call uh, a wonder bread product as it comes to olive oil and not to rip on wonder bread it has its purpose it serves a purpose <laughs> but but you wouldn't necessarily go for it uh in in terms of a sensation of an artisanal specific taste. Well, um, olive oil, olive, uh, nature does a lot of the work if you don't mess it up. But traditionally, oil, as it is produced on the tree, you can get five or six times the amount of oil out of a, out of a late harvest, heavily oil laden olive than you do out of, say, something that you harvest very early when an olive is on the tree. So the difference is a late harvest oil is often very quiet tasting and literally starting to ferment on the tree a little bit and not very durable, and it lacks all of these uh, flavors and aromas that an early harvest olive would. Economically though, it takes a lot of olives to get a little oil when you harvest early, but that is when the magic happens. That is when the oil is full of micronutrients like phenols and still full of life and gives you the texture and aroma and experience but because yield is low, it simply costs more to enjoy olive oil from that stage in the harvest. And so what this really is, is saying we're going to take a stage of the harvest that is, is the healthiest and most enjoyable and dynamic. And we're going to bring that in, in a way that is affordable. Uh, it's going to cost more than, than that, that old stuff that's not going to give you that, <laughs> but still table accessible. But experience just goes through the roof. That's, that's there's more to it than that, but the short of it is early harvest oils, well managed, can give you a whole different experience than uh, a big generic bottling company might be able to produce.
2: And this yeah. is, and this is something that they've known really
0: in Europe for a long time. Am I am have, wrong
2: about that? I mean, I think they the appreciate. They have,
0: but but I want to say the demand the demand for this type of product um, is is pretty recent because economics are mm-hmm. economics wherever you are. So. Um I maybe I could liken it to the the change that happened in coffee 30 years ago, right? I mean, there was right. a time where Maxwell House and Folgers were battling each other and now we look at the coffee scene and um does you Maxwell know, House even exist anymore? anymore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh so so in some some ways, you know, that was acceptable <laughs> all mm-hmm. the way to Saturday Night Live kind of uh, uh, spoofs, but when it comes to olive oil, that's kind of how the market was for a very long time until some people said, "Hey, We're going to do this on purpose. You know, we're, we're going to, we're going to give you not just uh, early harvest oil, but how about we don't just send this to a mass bottling company after it's been sitting in bags for weeks uh, or days as it ferments. We're going to go from tree to press within hours. We're going to make sure that the temperature as it's pressed stays low so we don't sacrifice the phenols that are giving us this kind of flavor profile. And um, we're going to keep it in its own cultivar. So just like you can go monocultivar with a bean, for example, and find your favorite bean, um, there are varieties of olive, Arbequina, ojablanca, piqual, frontoyo, and each of them has their own characteristics. And so if you if you harvest them early, handle them properly, and in their own cultivar, you can really start to dial in what your taste buds like, or even have one or two or three oils on your shelf at home, on your counter, and you can dial in those flavor profiles to the type of food that you're using. And, I mean, we do that all the time with spices. Why not do that with uh, something that's so ubiquitous as as an oil uh, or a fat source that we use to saute or drizzle anyways? It just, everything turns out better and healthier. Yeah. Well,
1: I, and you just, you just I, mentioned... Uh, Oh, oh sorry. <laughs> I was just going to say, one of the big things about Oro and like you, you peruse your website and I've perused your stores as well, is the the different flavors of oils as well. And how how do those kind of work? How do you kind of work those flavors into these oils? And, and do you have a favorite flavor of the, of the mm. bunch that you have? I'm, I'm seeing some really interesting ones. I see peppers and I see cayenne, yeah. which it's very exciting for me. Um.
0: <laughs> well, well, maybe I can partition just a little bit. What we were just talking about was, we'll say, single cultivar extra virgin olive oil, meaning the only thing that you have uh, that we've been describing is extra virgin olive oil that has a variety of flavor to it naturally when handled mm-hmm. properly. Yeah. um what we're transitioning to now in discussion is in addition to having a fresh oil what happens when you start adding things to it mm-hmm. um a lot of our oils wherever we can source them um go through a process called well, it's, they're called agramato which means you take a whole fruit or an herb or a pepper and you press it at the exact same time as you're pressing the fresh olive and what happens in that process of emulsion is fusion occurs between the oil of whatever you're pressing with the olive and the oil of the olive. So, for example, you can do that with something like garlic or uh, basil or jalapeno, um, anything that has a natural oil in it. If you can press it in an agramado style, uh, it it literally tastes like the fruit in an olive oil you can certainly flavor an olive oil by let's say adding an extract or an oil after the fact to fresh olive oil and sometimes that's the only practical way to do that depending upon what you're trying to do but um so yeah we we either have agri style where it's fresh fruit ground with the olive or flavored olive oils where you take a very fresh uh oil like uh, an arbequina that's naturally fruity and then you you add something like um uh, a spice element or another oil to to flavor it
1: that's really, inter- that's really interesting. So it, it, this pressing process sounds like it's almost similar to making a wine, but you're using grapes. Uh, not using grapes, it's olives.
0: Using olives, right. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, interesting. Yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, it's not as beautiful and elegant as everybody wants to imagine it, you know? Everybody wants to picture like the old stone wheel being pushed by the ox, you know, right. uh, this romantic view, which is cool. Um, But uh, long story is that process actually introduced all sorts of defects into oil, which only until recent mechanism was able to remove it. But what they use is um, uh, it's called a hammer mill. And I guess that's appropriate. It's, it's basically a a machine with a spinning pulverizing blade that takes incoming olives and mashes the daylights out of them. (laughs) And so you've got to separate uh, because these little, little teeny beads of fats um, are all throughout the olive and somehow you have to remove them from the flesh of the olive and then get them to collect while doing so at a low temperature. And so uh, the olive gets uh, pulverized into a mash. The mash then goes into this picture, this large uh, horizontal tank with an auger in it that slowly turns the mash. And as it does so, the little beads of oil touch each other and they coalesce and it being lighter than the mash eventually comes to the top of that tank. And then that gets drawn off the top of the tank, goes into a centrifuge to remove particulates, and that's kind of the short of of how the oil is extracted.
2: Wow! Yeah. So you
0: you picture and that? What and
2: What yeah. happens to the rest of it? I mean is there is there something useful that happens to the rest of the olive in that out of that process? And I'm just asking because it's something I really yeah. don't have insight into.
0: I I. I don't know what the end of all of the mash is, but I can tell you an <laughs> unglorious end that sometimes occurs. Um, sometimes, this is where you hear the expression, uh, extra virgin olive oil, first cold pressing. It should go without saying that extra virgin olive oil comes out of that first mash. But you can't extract all of the oil out of what's left over, what didn't rise at the top. So mass bottling companies realize there's some value to the mash and what they'll do is literally take that and put it through a refining process where it's it's put under extreme heat uh solvents are added in order to um allow the oil to free yes yep and um then uh you know the solvent is extracted off the top but basically by the time you're done with what's left of what you can extract from the mash you're going to be left with a tasteless, colorless fat that is devoid of any sort of health benefits, and, and, this, um, and this is that mild
2: <laughs> olive oil that you see.
0: Like, here, maybe here's a, a little truth in labeling can come out of this. So imagine okay. this: we've we've removed the rest of the oil. It's it's really it's truly a, still a product of the olive, but nothing that you're hoping you know out of it is going to come other than a tasteless fat. Um, if uh, it, technically the term is um, meaning lamp oil. <laughs> Fit okay. for lamps, all right. Uh, Consumable, but fit for lamps. Okay. If in the American market, here's a little truth in labeling. If you add back three to five percent virgin olive oil, which is a substandard pressing, you can call it light olive oil oh, on the grocery store yes. shelf. Okay,
2: so
0: Uh-oh. that's where that comes from. That's so where it comes it's, from. So it's
2: functional as a cooking oil? But
0: not really. But as mainly functional for,
1: as for an olive oil. Maybe yeah, it should not... be
0: for. <laughs> <lamps>. <laughs> <laughs> in, in my opinion, we can leave it for the lamps. Yeah. Like the only, yeah. the only thing that I find that would be uh, beneficial for is, let's say, if you're doing frying and you're it's doing like it repeatedly, high temperatures yeah, where it's, yeah. super high temperature yes. over and over, it has its place. But what's interesting is the cost of a light olive oil as it's labeled, and it can be spelled L um, um, oh, I G H T L I T E. The oh, I lost the thought. What were we talking about? You were light, talking light. about the cost oh, the true that... truth and labeling. Oh yes, yeah. the cost. The cost is not that much less no. on the shelf. It's because the processing costs. So mm. um, you might as well put a couple more bucks in, find yourself a really good source, and enjoy what it can be, rather than kind of throwing and, and, that away. And those,
2: and those health properties of olive oil that are you know that are touted all over and that are very
0: real must disappear for the most part. in that part. process. Absolutely. I mean, Um, if you don't mind, I'm just going to step back to step forward onto that, Mm -hmm. uh, truth and labeling. Again, if you see an oil on the shelf and you're trying to lose weight and you see the word light, L I T E L I G H T. Either of you know how many calories there are in light olive oil compared to extra virgin Uh, wild guess. (laughs) they are exactly the same. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Because fat fat is 120 calories per tablespoon regardless. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it's a little misleading on that um health benefits um there is if you come into the store and you're looking at the extra virgin olive oils we have posted on each of the descriptors a, uh, a a chemistry chart because each of the oils that that we source we not only know where they come from but we we have lab results as to exactly what their contents are and quality is um one number that's of particular interest to a lot of people are the uh, phenolic count or the total phenols in an oil generally speaking and i'm I'm saying generally uh, the larger that number the larger the phenol number the more peppery or textural that oil is going to be on your palate and the higher that number since phenols is basically a fancy way of saying a chemical uh, a chemical compound that has antioxidant value Um, it's going to be better for you in terms of the health benefits of of antioxidants. Um, So we kind of organize them from left to right. Where on the left, you're going to have a little more mild and fruity oil, but as you move to the center and to the right, you start to build up different herbaceous flavors and textures. And by the time you're on the far right, you'll usually catch something that if you swallow, it will give you a little catching sensation in the back of your throat, which are those alive, phenols physically uh for a moment irritating the back of your throat um as they pass it (laughs) so if you are listening to this and saying i I have no idea what you're talking about i might suggest that you've never truly had a fresh oil because those micronutrients uh dissipate or are mostly gone in those late harvest oils or the oils that haven't been handled properly uh to maintain them and their level interesting so um yeah, I, I, in points of reference, um, grocery store oils, when tested by somewhere like UC Davis, most of them have an uh, under a hundred parts per million. Many of them fifteen to twenty parts per million, which is almost non-existent. Um, oils currently at at oral range between the like two seventy to five eighty right now, which is just rock star in terms of of life and chemistry, and you know they still exist because you can still taste them, and because we only have current year's harvest out for you to try, so you you never have to wonder whether or not something has moved past a date um, or or, or yeah. progressed down a timeline that that has made it get old.
2: Yeah, yeah. I interviewed you a number of years ago um, for a piece on you know there was a lot of a lot of news going on about um, what olive oil fraud and you know the the olive oil mafia in Italy, and how much how much good <laughs> olive oil actually gets to the U.S. And um, I remember talking to you, but one of the things that you told me and taught me that day, um, because we went through kind of the processes um, for your oils, um, mm-hmm. is that the harvest date of an olive oil is one of the good indicators that you're buying something that is of some Quality, you know, like if you have to buy grocery store oil, a California oil, for instance, a lot of them will have, and it's kind of like a born on date on beer, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> where, where mm-hmm. it's a, you know, it's an indication. If There's no indication of when it was produced. There's you,
0: a lot you, you don't, don't know. know. No, yeah. there's a lot you don't know, and um, I, I'm trying to remember, uh, and I don't want to misquote the stats, but uh, University of California Davis has really spearheaded a lot of the information exposing some of these things we have we have science that can test and really show what something is or isn't and also tasting panels that determine whether something is defectory from a sensory standpoint but oftentimes there's not regulation that that requires anything past those two that panel or a chemistry test it just kind of goes out that way so it's left to the consumer to determine um by their own education their own taste buds uh, what really is, is meeting that mark or not? Um, with regard to fraud, um, you know, it's hard to point fingers, but the, uh, 17 out of 20 samples, uh, routinely pulled not that many years ago by the UC Davis and tested arbitrarily did not pass as extra virgin, either a sensory panel or chemistry wise, even though they were labeled as such. So mm-hmm. if, if that weren't the case, I don't think that we would exist. Um, all we would be is a different way of, of selling it. But because it's so dynamically different oftentimes, and consistently so, and you can try it before you bring it home, all of that risk of throwing your money away is gone, and it's a heck of a lot of fun.
2: Yeah. Oh, definitely. I think I think um, that interview kind of changed the way I looked at olive oil. Because I did. I, I mean, I sat with you. We tasted olive oil. And um, and there were some where it was like, whoa. <laughs> you know, because right? That, like no. you go from kind of a grocery store, what you can find, and even the better stuff, um, to a really high phenol count. And yeah, that peppery in the back of your throat is sort of like, hmm, do I want that? Mm-hmm. Do I not want that? You know, like like there's a there's a, a conflict, you know, at the moment. Um and and I feel like that's something like you that you either love from the gecko or that you work up to, you know, in terms of, True. of tasting it. True. Um but I think I think we also talked, or maybe this was in the programming because I think it was based on a sixty minutes episode. Um, that the other stat that was kind of alarming to me is that most, and I won't throw out a percentage, but that a good deal of the olive oil like olive oil in stores is more or less rancid or kind of beyond <laughs> it. Hmm. It's
0: well, um, um, maybe and I can some speak of it's to about that.
2: transport. Um.
0: You know, uh, rancid yeah. I'll tell you this is uh interesting. Um I'll give you a couple nuances.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Rancidity is uh a defect of time. All it means is that oil's been around so long that the micronutrients or the phenols that were in it, which act as natural preservatives, are no longer there to preserve the oil. The oil naturally continues to break down and oxidize fat chains, change positions, and that actually has a taste. Um and it can be described as kind of silly putty, oil-based paint, oh. crayola crayon, uh, Play-Doh.
2: Play-Doh. Those are the. Notes. If you ever yeah. ate Play-Doh as a kid, that's yeah. that's and actually you, really everybody smells. It? It, it, it even, even, smells, is that, right? it even <laughs> smells like Play-Doh to me. That's yeah. like my best, like and closest um, thing. And I'm I'm pretty sensitive. I don't know. My my family always jokes that my dad and myself got the get the nose for. And the, and the palate for, for detecting freezer burn and rancidity oh, yeah. and things. <laughs> yes. and, like, and we'll just, we'll get it. It's like, mm, that milk has about a day <laughs> before, you, really a, you know, um, those All sorts right. of things. So I don't know how good my palate is on a lot of other levels, but for detecting badness, <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, it's, like pretty, it's pretty good. Yes. Well, that's um, good. But you know, it, it's very difficult to know um, when I have done tasting classes in the store. I love going to the store that day, buying a big brand and cracking it open for the first time blind and trying it next to something that we just tried that was fresh. And we may have had the most amazing descriptors on that first oil that we tried fresh. It can be like, wow, that's, that's green apple peel. And I taste, um, I taste herbs and tea and there's a cinnamon sensation on my, on my lips. And I got the pepper and they get all that. Right. And everybody's like, wow, I, I, this is interesting i don't know what to think because it's a new experience and then we'll slip in the one that's uh, from the store that day um and oftentimes i won't taste it on purpose so there's credibility i can just you know Mm. uh, slip it in to be dynamic or dramatic but um that next taste i love watching people's reactions because they'll look at each other like uh what am i supposed to say what am i supposed to say and sometimes olive pe- people <laughs> will bump, bump each other's shoulders and they'll say under their breath, it tastes like olive oil. And so that's what's interesting, is our <sighs> taste buds have kind of been calibrated to accept uh, olive oil that tastes a little bit uh, old, like that kind of crayola cranny thing, or has other defects in it, like uh, fustiness, which tastes like, you know, you can taste like mushy brined black olives. If mm-hmm. your olive oil tastes olivy, is a defect. It's a fermentation it's like it's defect. the fish
1: smells fishy, that means the right. fish has gone bad. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's, uh, yeah, it's, or the, the pink or salmon it's is actually yeah. inaccurate salmon. Yeah, it's... Right. Yeah.
0: So yeah, watch for those two things. You know, if someone's listening, you taste your olive oil. If it tastes like crayons or underneath it, like mushy brine black olives, um, there's a hideous defect uh, that's a storage defect. That uh, if, if these tanks have oil in it for a long time and, and sediment falls to the bottom, there's a thing called anaerobic fermentation or fermentation without air that occurs. And it literally reminds you of farm pond. Like mm-hmm. oh. that's all I'll say. <laughs> if you taste it, you'd be like, Oh my God, that is, it's like I'm driving out in a dairy area. <laughs> uh, if you ever taste that kind of like farm pond smell, that is, yeah. that is rough. And you will find that on like close out olive oils that are super, super cheap. Um, that kind of stuff usually creeps in to the mix because uh, it has to be olive and, and somewhere. It maybe won't
2: kill you, but it's oh. not very pleasant. No, no, uh. it, it
0: permeates. It permeates whatever yeah. you're cooking with to a negative, and that's why a lot of people are like, "I don't like yeah. olive oil." Well, that may be the reason. You may just not have had it fresh. That's it's, yeah. that's a common common reality.
2: Oh yeah, and if you if you saute like potatoes in it, it would be a a travesty because they yes. just suck up the flavor,
0: saturate. Um,
2: but speaking speaking of that, uh, and I know you mentioned early on, you know about you know using olive oil and sautéing and the difference between frying. I know for a long, long mm-hmm. time everybody was like, "Oh, but you don't get any of the health benefits of olive oil. Like, you can't use olive oil for cooking. It's such a low temperature oil." And that was at least the mythology that, mm-hmm. as I understood it. Um, sure. But that's another thing that I guess I've learned, possibly yeah. even from you, is that. Olive oil is way more resilient to heat. It is, you know. You don't want to. It is, you know. Take it up. I, I forget what the what the smoking well, point is per
0: se. I mean, uh, olive oil used to be used for lamps, right? So, I mean, if you can you can light it on fire if you put a direct flame on it, just like other oils. Um, so, the smoke point of olive oil. Uh, we say smoke point is when it, when it would flash under a direct flame is at like 425 degrees. And if you do the research on it, most sautés are well, well, well below that. Um, You know, you're, you're boiling water at 212 degrees. The only time that you're going to physically see your olive oil smoke is if you leave your pan on absolute high, you forget that the oil's in the pan and then you'll see it turn color to like a, a little bit of a light Brown, but that. That doesn't happen with ordinary cooking. You can bake with it. Um, I love to roast vegetables at 450 and it's as durable as it needs to be um without any sort of burning because the uh well that that might be the temperature of the oven, but the food itself is constantly cooling the oil. So you can use olive oil freely for almost anything unless you're doing something like in a wok or um you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't take like a, a super high chlorophyll oil. And repeatedly fry with it because it just gets a little weird tasting because you still have that those beautiful elements in there that you're cooking and recooking and cooking and recooking.
2: And it's, and it's pretty expensive to take um, a good olive oil and use it for deep frying, I feel. Yeah,
0: yeah. It just like, th- That's where that's easy. where your canolas and your uh, light olive oils or whatever have their place. But uh, it's a very specific place. But there's there's been a passed on, and this is not just for my benefit. There has been a repeated fear of using you know good decent quality olive oil to cook with only to drizzle with and that's that's just if you were to go to europe and say well what do you use to cook with they're going to pull the same bottle out and say what do you mean um yeah. it just has been repeated by a few people too often and you can try it for yourself uh, don't take my word for it try it and you'll be like oh I didn't, I didn't need to fear that at all yeah
2: yeah and i think i think there's it's lovely to have an oil that you use for finishing you know or for, you know, yeah. for salads specifically. Um, I think you and I were talking a little bit just prior to the start of the podcast about the piquel olive oil.
0: Yes.
1: It's
2: just a Spanish olive oil, which I I don't know, I've just decided that it's it's one of my favorites um, because I can taste like tomato leaf. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it sounds yeah. like a weird thing, but it's like this if you think about the smell of a tomato plant and the smell of the leaves. That flavor just—I don't know—comes washing through. It just reminds me of summer,
0: um, right, so that, and so it's beautiful cool, on salad. You know, yeah, but
2: I cook that, with it too. So
0: yeah. So there's um, a, there's a testimony from Lori right there. Um, just to clarify, uh, what Lori's describing is a single cultivar um, named Piqual. The olive's name is Piqual, P-I-C-U-A-L. And, um, it can be grown anywhere around the planet, just like any other cultivar. However, we have a really great source from Spain and I watch for Piqual that has just the notes that Laurie described. Um, it can have a variety of notes, but if I find a Piqual that, that tastes like, uh, or is reminiscent of, like when you taste it, you're like, uh, uh, smells become memories, memories pull down very directly. It reminds you of something. This reminds you that you're in the garden in the summer. You ripped a tomato plant out of the ground. You got the stems on your hands and like herbs and spices came up with it. That is the experience of tasting piquoise, uh, straight when you're doing a tasting. But if you can imagine that, uh, those, those dynamics softened out as they're spread over or throughout a salad with an appropriate white balsamic or with none, maybe just a little salt. Um, it's, it's layers of texture and character where you're like, what is it that this up, yeah. you know, like it's the olive oil. It, it can have that, that positive effect and just bring things to another notch. Plus, uh, the health benefits are, are through the roof. And if you don't mind me mentioning one other thing about that, um, uh, sometimes people, when they're dieting are eating a lot of salads, right? So they're thinking, well, maybe I don't want to add oil because it's got calories. Um, what's often also forgotten or just not known is that, uh, all of the keratins that are in salad, uh, in, in, in leafy greens and things like carrots or otherwise cannot be broken down by our system unless they're accompanied by a fat source. Cause they're fat soluble. Mm. Yeah. And so yeah. So they literally you know, the, the benefits uh, go right through you. So if you are going to pair it with something, it is totally appropriate to do so with a higher quality olive oil. Um, and, and you'll get the byproduct of both.
2: And then you get all
1: the antioxidants and right all of that right.
2: plus plus mm-hmm. you can actually mm-hmm. digest your salad. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. No, That's one fact. Uh, which, yeah. which
1: if you're going to eat the salad, you might as well digest it. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's right. it's well, just roughage. Uh, otherwise, it's just roughage. Right. Yeah. 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 Right.
0: Because I, I have yeah. people come in and say, "Oh, I, I just put balsamic on. I don't put any oil because I don't want to uh, add the calories." But there's there's just a missing element in the in the education of some of those. Uh, those thoughts that uh, if we add that to you, you'll, you'll find yourself better off discreetly using, you know, in, enough to enhance it and not feel guilty about it. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah. You, you talked about sourcing and um, finding sources for olive oil. You guys have mm-hmm. a particular way of sourcing
0: your oils well, that
2: kind of ensures that you know what you're getting. And,
0: yeah. And so, uh, it has like- evolved over the years. Okay. it's evolved. At first we went and we we'd only visited a few local growers that were California. So we you know we bought from them some that were award-winning. And then um but those were pretty expensive uh to try to get in small amounts of bulk. And then as this idea started to spread across the country and awareness, uh there became a little larger demand, which made place for some people who had the ability to work with medium-sized growers to manage their. Uh, or a particular part of their harvest, incredibly stringently. So we've evolved through, I buy still directly from some growers, and then also work through um, uh, a purveyor that is just absolutely rock star right now. Um, UC Davis, I've mentioned it a few times, has really pioneered the uh, education on an experimentation and quantifying what makes a good oil. Well, uh, the gentleman who uh, pioneered that, the Sensory Institute, Uh, Has now retired. Is he the super taster?
2: The the guy who for years was like. Just well known for his palate.
0: Well I. I, We may be thinking about a different person. But in the olive oil world. He is the guy. uh, Or one of the people who trains. Olive oil tasting panels around the world. How to calibrate their taste buds. To say. Is this a four to you? And a four to you. Uh, So that we can have some sort of consistent guide. If people are judging olive oil. So so. His name is Paul Vossen. You can look him up a uh, great profile, but uh, Paul is literally now on the payroll of our purveyor and is uh, helping select the fruit in both Northern and Southern hemispheres, as well as providing us with um, uh, descriptors and uh, sensory information from literally one of the most renowned human beings in the world who pioneered that, that science, that food That's science. And fun. so, yeah, it's really cool to be able to say that. And, um, you know, uh, re- rely on on the selection as well as the advice that's being given to to the purveyor to be able to produce that end end result. Um, so, yeah, that's it, it, it's really cool to be able to say that. I've met him several times personally and taking classes from him, and it just so happens he's now out of the university system and and consulting. Very fun, very fun. Yeah,
2: but this is but this is a testament to where the awareness of olive oil and the appreciation for olive oil has gone, um,
1: mm-hmm.
2: I would say, right? Like yeah. years ago, yeah. that wouldn't be the case.
0: You know, you would be. No, it was unknown. I I mean, I, I, I didn't know. Um, I, I grew up in an Italian household, right? We made spaghetti every Sunday night. My experience with olive oil was I wanted to use it because it was olive oil. Right. And so I grabbed my mom's old eternal bottle that, at that time, I thought olive oil well, well, never went bad. Um, mm-hmm. Well, it did, and hers was terrible for for a variety of reasons. I understand now, but I would use it to to saute the onions to begin the sauce from scratch. And every time I used olive oil, it turned out lousy, and I found myself reaching for corn oil instead, so that it just didn't ruin that base flavor. But I didn't know why, um, uh, and, and it certainly doesn't have to be that way. But I think. Uh, we just didn't know the difference because there was not uh, a demand. There just wasn't, and now that there is a demand, and we're in a society that is more and more dialed in on almost everything, um, the the cool thing is we have as elite of olive oil as can be, but at a price now that is not exclusive. Um, the people who come into Oro uh, are are people. Uh, advertisers say, "Well, who's your who do you market to?" I'm like, "It's everybody." I, I literally had Intosa. Uh, people come up the street while literally working on the railroad okay and said well my wife loves this stuff i'm from kenosha and if i don't bring a bottle back and i she knew i was working here she'd kill me um not to stereotype the railroad worker but uh the point is it's it's ubiquitous to anybody who has has a good palate wants something a little nicer um but but wants to eat out at home all the time um we, we can do that with the drizzle
2: no, I mean it, it's kind of funny because I, I started buying. I I thought for a long time that I wouldn't be able to afford to buy olive oil, you know, regularly from Oro, and, and I don't know. Now I'm feeling like a sales advertisement, but it just, <laughs> just, it just <laughs> no, but it changed a lot of things. Um, I've been wanting to do this podcast for a while because I just I just think that clearly
0: your skin glows now cool. <laughs> and all sorts of things. <laughs>
2: clearly, clearly. <laughs> I've 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 gone you know like like Benjamin Button I'm going backwards in go. my aging. Right, course. no, right, no, right. no, um, no. Actual but but I'll admit too, you know, like I mean, complete ignorance until probably four or five years ago about olive oil. And I remember back, gosh, probably the early two thousands when the little shops selling olive oil were turning up in malls, primarily. Right. You you started in Brookfield Square. Um right. I remember thinking. Like, because there's the gift shops, you know, like the the funky little cheese box shops and all those places. Which, as you sort of move along in life, you're kind of like, ugh, that's just stuff that people buy, you know, like the weird gift right. boxy stuff. Right, like, that might not mm-hmm. even be good. It's just a, it's a, mm, I don't know, um, yeah. Just a Harry, 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 and da- Harry and David. Maybe they were really, really good at one point, right? But they eventually just became a gift box company that just kind of mass produced a lot of stuff. Sure. So I remember thinking, "Ugh, these olive oil shops in the mall—like, that's weird, right?" <laughs> right. Um, well,
0: completely well
2: probably overlooked the trend. You know, tea, mm-hmm. tea things. Um, tea is on a similar trajectory, I think. Like, right. The awareness right. of tea in the US is. Is you know, abysmal. Um, so, the, you know, there's all these tivanas and T-Shots. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, you know, and you kind of look at them and you're like, you're in the mall. Like, is that legit? Um, and, but I think that that was like the sign, you know, that the the trend yeah, there was, was coming, that there was, there was something happening, you know. Right.
0: Um, well, we in were, the world. We were asked that a lot, too, Lori, when you mentioned that. When we were set up at Brookfield, as as much as we put into it, grassroots probably the most common question we were asked is are you a franchise Hmm. and uh we're like no (laughs) no (laughs) because um not 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 in the nearest and and even now because we you know we worked with a really talented designer barb polini some of our packaging looks polished people sometimes still say is this a franchise but no it's it's a milwaukee company we're only in two places and um you know it's we, nobody tells us what to put in our tanks. This is a, a grassroots search for some of the best of the best. Um, it is very funny that it's like,
1: oh, it's polished, so it must be, it must be a chain. Like it's a there, there's sword. something sad yeah. about yeah. that. Like, yeah. Yeah. and that you can't, that you can't have good marketing. You yeah. Know, yeah, good marketing. Oh, this materials. is this is well packaged and well yeah. assembled. This clearly must be a national thing,
0: <laughs> right? Really? Yeah. So yeah, that that isn't the case. Doesn't have to be the case, and it doesn't mean that somebody national couldn't couldn't. Um, you know, pull something off. But it's, it's, it's a moving target. I mean, we're, we're always managing what's out and what's not out and what's coming in and profiling it. And, um, it's hard to do that on a, on a large level and have, have education and control. It's hard to do that every day with, with two two locations. Yeah. Um,
2: well well then how do you monitor your olive oil? Mm. Because obviously olive oil has a shelf life. And, sure. and, you know, you know when it was harvested and you have all of that labeled, um, yes. but how long, you know, how long can you keep it? And then what do you, what do you decide about olive oil that's getting toward the end of its
0: yeah. game? Yeah. Well, um, the uh, we're really uh, fortunate that the oil that we can buy can be purchased um, from our purveyor in literally uh, 2.6 gallon cubes and so we don't have to get this huge massive amount of product hoping that we guess right on what we we brought in that year and we're going to sell it or bust um of the many oils that i have options for i whittle that down to about five or six out because people get a little i mean of the extra virgin tons of flavors but um so my point is I have access always to current year's harvest, and we simply will run out of it before it ever gets old. Or if I'm tasting something and it doesn't have the same pizzazz that it did maybe two or three months ago, we'll rotate to something else. Um, we're also drawing oil from two hemispheres. So you might have something from uh, Spain or Italy, uh, northern hemisphere harvest. But then six months later, great oils are coming out of places like Peru and Chile, or even South Africa. Wherever you can get a great wine, good olive oil has followed. So now instead of waiting always for an entire year to get the uh, oil from the same producer, six months out, we can taste an oil from another producer whose oil just came off press. And if that one wins the tasting, that one gets slipped into the mix. The other one gets pulled off. So it's just a rotating uh, uh, wall of goodness rather than, well, this one got old, but we still need to sell it. It just never happens anymore. We don't have to do that. Um, I, if that makes sense, I, you could call it mm-hmm. following the harvest. Yeah. and and managing the taste. Uh, My selection of the selections is usually so that if you went from oil to oil to oil, you'd be able to tell the difference from one to the next to the next to the next. And so I'm also trying to select something that, you know, really gives you the ability to not say, well, those those three are really the same. I don't care where they came from. They taste the same. We're wanting dynamics and freshness. uh, And that's the balance I try to strike when selecting.
2: Yeah, yeah. How many how many oils do you have in your kitchen at one oh.
0: point in time <laughs> <laughs> Actually I just per I just purged uh because there was there was dozens and dozens of oils yeah. I think the balsamic's build up more because the balsamic is so shelf stable Oh and it's because they those uh, there, there must have so been long. like 30 or yeah. 40 different kinds but right, right now though I I try to have maybe like five or six things that are my go-tos because I like to go through them, you know? Um, and then they remain not just fresh uh, from the shelf, but fresh on my bottle. And I use them up. Oh, mm-hmm. you asked, when is an oil considered old? Mm-hmm. So in you picture yourself living in a producing country. Um, why would you buy last year's olive oil when you can buy this year's? So oil, in my mind, becomes old when you can get the next harvest. You can certainly use this year's harvest well into next year's. Just realize that like a Polaroid in reverse, its character will slowly dissipate over time as the phenols drop and other chemistry occurs. So when somebody at the store says, well, how long is this good for? We make a recommendation that maybe you buy a four to six month supply and use it up. Even though you could use it long after that, it will slowly become a shadow of itself. The best oil on the planet at this moment only remains the best oil on the planet uh, for a period of time a- until it's replaced by the next well crafted young harvest. So we're all trying to, you're try to, trying to catch a moving target, you know? Get it's what like you an like
1: use it. It's, it's innovative yeah. now at the time, but then as soon yes. as the next iPod we, comes yes.
0: out. Yes. Yes. We have, yeah. so there's definitely some unplanned obsolescence that occurs <laughs> yes. uh, no matter what, mm-hmm. yeah. well, which does work to our advantage.
1: Yeah. No, I I'd love to ask too while we're while we're here, like so you also do vinegars as well and balsamics and yeah. stuff like that. When yeah. did that kind of work its way into the portfolio? I mean, it obviously kind of feels like a natural evolution, oil, vinegar, balsamic all those they're not right. in the same family, but they are all right. in that kind of uh you well, know. Well, culinary... on the other side you have the wine, the wine piece. You know right. the yeah. vinegar. You know so the yeah oil. so how did you kind of work those into the portfolio and what was your kind of approach for those then because obviously
0: we've we've've we've spent 45 minutes talking yeah. about oil so yeah like clearly and then, you very know, we, oil. there is and we've really focused on extra virgin olive oil so maybe yeah. as I described some of the balsamic um, uh, we can use it as an opportunity to suggest some pairings that might yeah. occur with like flavored olive oils because you can easily imagine an extra virgin of your liking with a really good uh, balsamic, yeah. Um, but but let let me just address what our balsamic vinegar is. Um, yeah. What is balsamic vinegar? Is is a question. Um, yeah. Compared to like a wine vinegar. Well, wine vinegar is just, is vinegar gone sour, right? Uh, I'm sorry, wine gone sour. Where a balsamic vinegar is um, from the Latin balsamum, uh, which is a dark aromatic resin. So balsamic vinegar is basically a, re- a grape reduction that is seeded with a wine vinegar and then goes through a vinegar process. But because of the high concentration of grapes and grape must through the uh, reduced uh, reduction, you have a thicker, uh, heavier, um, is sweeter, usually... More dense product. It takes a lot of grapes to make a balsamic vinegar to the point where it turns into that dark red balsam balsamum style uh, result. Um, traditional balsamic of Modena of Italy, where you buy them in these teeny little bottles with the seal and the serial numbers that they're like $150 for a couple of centiliters. Uh, everybody thinks that every balsamic that stick out there is that. It's not. There's very little of that long aged, uh, product produced in the world, like only thousands of gallons. That's it. So, and it's not accessible to most people. So the product that we're working with is called uh balsamico condimenti or condiment style balsamic, where it's very high quality. Uh, it takes a lot of grapes to make it. So the cost it goes up because of the product amount, um, but the process of reduction is done through heat and evaporation, rather than having it sit in somebody's attic and bins for 18 years, you pre-reduce and you can produce a product that is high quality, table accessible, and to this day, uh, in, in the several classes where I've done side-by-sides and asked people to pick, um, we, we, we took a $150 bottle uh, produced by a respected company, and we did a side-by-side with our 18-year style balsamic. And to this day, people thought that the 18 year was a higher quality product without exception. Okay. So you don't have to spend $150 to have a preferred experience. Um, it's, it's not cheap, but it's, it's definitely something that you can roll into the mix. So we, we sell a lot of this traditional balsamic. All it is, is grapes, grape must and the seeding of red wine vinegar, but it, it produces, um, this, this appropriately thick, starts out with notes of fig honey date raisin you get an appropriate sweet and a sour but in balance and with a resolve that lingers and 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 this is the best one that we have found in a price point that is appropriate for the table and um yeah i think we probably sell i have to look at numbers but i think we sell more balsamic now than we do olive oil oh um, wow yeah but but uh, mm, go ahead <laughs>
2: Oh no! I, I think you should you should finish. <laughs> well, I was <laughs> I was thought. just
0: thinking, you know, when when you have a quality base like that, you can play. And um, the producers that we're getting it from in, in in Modena have done that. I'll just give you a couple of flavors that, in addition to the traditional style, which is the number one um, basic balsamic, that'll change the way you look at it. Uh, we have flavors from everything like blackberry ginger. We got in a bourbon maple. Which is going great with like marinades um, and and um, uh, uh, barbecue sauces. Uh, right now, we're pairing a uh, in, in one of our pairings in the store a, our our blood orange olive oil with a cinnamon pear balsamic. That goes great with stuff like uh, acorn squashes and sweet potatoes. Um, Christmas in we in have general, a, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, strawberry balsamic, pomegranate, fig, raspberry, a teriyaki. So you can really find what your taste buds like and dial that in. Um, yeah, you, if, have a, if you, you still buy... have chocolate and espresso oh. balsamic as well, we do.
2: Yes, yes, um, yeah. which are amazing on ice cream.
1: Yeah, That's all I'm gonna which say. is one of those flavor combinations mm-hmm. that, like, I remember. I think it was probably a decade ago at this point, but there was stuff going around about like balsamic vinegar. B- balsamic I, on mm-hmm. ice cream, and people yeah. were like, yeah. "You're out of your gourd. You are repulsive. Right. Right. <laughs> what is wrong with you?" <laughs> yeah. And now yeah. it's become one of those things where it's like, "No, that's that works. Yeah. It actually yeah. genuinely works if you have yeah, good balsamic. If you're not, you know, grabbing, you know, right off the lower and, shelf of the grocery store. Yeah,
0: in, yeah, two very different products. Yes, um, high density, high density condimenti is what this is, and that's um, you know that's where it's at." But uh, you know everybody thinks of balsamic as being like uh, uh, dark. Well, in, in the condiment line, you can start playing where you you reduce the grape, but you do it at a temperature where it does not caramelize, and what you're left with is a little brighter product that are uh, considered like a white balsamic line in the condiment style balsamic, and um, that has started to outsell the dark balsamics. Uh, we have uh, a yeah. Sicilian lemon balsamic, a peach balsamic. Honey, ginger, cranberry, pear, coconut, apricot, jalapeno, lime, grapefruit, and people are using these not only as uh, inspirations for a, a thousand different salad dressings, um, but also mixing them in in drinks, cocktails, okay. and uh, yeah, the the applications are, are are limitless.
2: Well, and the beautiful thing—nothing against you know traditional dark balsamic, but no, there are moments. <laughs> there are moments when like. Dark balsamic just gives you, you know. I love potato salad made with balsamic vinegar and regular, you know. But holy cow, it is not appetizing looking. <laughs> oh <laughs> you know, no! Well, in yeah, the, in well, the it least, me. you just get no. you know these reddish brown potatoes. Um, but with a white balsamic, it it, it changes the game because you can you can get a slightly similar flavor profile.
0: Um, yeah. With well, the lighter, and for an well, alternative that's uh, that's that's enlightening, like uh, mm-hmm. give you an example. My favorite with that, and and you can chill it or not. But let's say you used a, a dill extra virgin olive oil, so a dill flavored olive oil with the Sicilian lemon white balsamic mm-hmm. and baby red potatoes, and a little bit of salt and chill that, and you have an alternative, super healthy, super vibrant, exciting thing to share. So it yeah, you're you're terrible, right,
2: Josh. Terrible. Doesn't it?
0: <laughs> I know. I know.
2: Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. I got to tell you a, a, a combination that we we had in, uh, it's a taste that I had never tasted uh, or never found in oil, but there was a small batch of the agramato style where they crushed the whole fruit with the olive that came out of Tunisia and it's called Amar Pepper, agramato extra virgin. And what they do is picture like those big sun-dried chilies, right? Uh-huh. Um, there's a sun dried, lightly roasted chili that gets pressed with the olive and the oil resulting is an olive oil. That's like this laser red and it's smoky and gives you a bite in the back of the throat. Um, but we have an 18 year balsamic now that they are doing a natural hickory smoke too. That smoke flavor oh. actually, um, a steeping over, uh, charred hickory. And when you do this Amar pepper, the smoked Amar pepper with the hickory smoked balsamic, um, it, it's a flavor that I had never... There are flavors that occur here that people will come and say, I've never tasted anything quite like that before because uh, it can be so dynamically unique in, in a single harvest. And that's the kind of stuff that happens. And, and we've had people buying bottles of that um, for their, their marinades and grilling for chicken and pork, and it's fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. And,
2: and, well, and I would imagine because there's lots of ways to put smoky flavor into things and like liquid smoke is not it
0: tastes like liquid smoke. smoke. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like you what This is why yeah. This is why
2: <laughs> barbecue places like there's an arc to this. It's it's not just a matter of slathering your meat and um an artificial smoke flavor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that's but that's very cool. I I'm a fan of the Harissa. Oil yes up, actually um, yes. personally because so, I was in North Africa and Harissa like before it even really reached the states now in you know
0: um so what is Harissa like if you were to describe Harissa to somebody that you experienced, what was it yeah,
2: so my exposure to it was in um all of the hotels we stayed at in Tunisia um the one element th- there's a lot of hotels that cater to the German Tourist population, so that you'll find a lot of German food if you eat at the restaurants and the hotels. Interesting, um, and it's kind of, I, 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 don't know that it's the best reflection on German food either. Um, well, Germans are, I, I, I won't, I won't.
0: Um, <laughs> German, when Germans go on vacation,
2: yeah. <laughs> according according to the Tunisians, <laughs> <the laughs> when Germans go on vacation, they sort of, they want the tropical or Mediterranean elements, but they still want to feel like they stay at home. They like they're at mm. home. So they're a little bit, I think Americans sometimes do that too, where they want, you know, they want everybody to speak to them in a language they understand. They want their food to be familiar, but, you know, they want to sit in a chair on the beach. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, so there's a lot of, a lot of German food. But the one thing, um, there's also a lot of French influence. So you find baguettes everywhere and they're good, like French style baguettes. Mm. There was always um, a, a ceramic bowl Filled with harissa, harissa paste H. on H. all of the mm-hmm. tables at almost mm-hmm. every restaurant, hotel restaurants, um, restaurants at the market everywhere. Um, so it was like this ubiquitous condiment that everyone mm-hmm. put on anything. Um, <laughs> but on nights when the German food at the hotel was bad, we would. Uh, there were a couple of friends of mine who had, who were on. It was a month long trip um that I went on to my university and we literally we would we would sit there and eat french bread s- spread with harissa and so that that flavor became ubiquitous with that trip because i literally nice. would have whole meals of good french
0: bread good french <laughs> bread with harissa so yeah. so um so, like a, a harissa paste, traditionally mm-hmm. would be like uh, an olive oil as its medium, right? And then yes. and uh, it might be flavored with garlic yeah. and chili pepper, right? Mm-hmm. Cumin. Yeah. Um, usually, yeah.
2: What I what I noted the the spice blends differ because there is like a kind of a berber version in um, even in North Africa that will be that will have more spices in it. Sometimes there is. Um, Almost always some level of cumin, but some of them have, like, um, uh, what is it? in um, The seeds in rye bread? Coriander? Coriander? Corian. Uh, oh, oh.
0: Um, No, I was going to say, sometimes there's coriander. Like, coriander
2: will sometimes appear. Um, I had a really hard time because the, the distinctive flavor of the peppers itself in the ones grown in North Africa, like... Mm-hmm. Consume a lot of the flavor in a lot of what I had into Tun- in Tunis, which is kind of where our home base was. Um, but as you traveled around, you found because because harissa is like a, a blend of mm-hmm. you know the garlic and the um, different things, coriander, cumin. Um, right. And it took me, or so it took me a really long time to find anything in the U.S. that tasted oh even close. so, that, so that- so the, the transitions were weird. wrong, you know, and all the oh. all the jarred stuff you could buy in the store is like it's not sweet like that, you know. It's it's slightly spicy and a little bit smoky is not necessarily it, but it's got this underlying mm-hmm. smoky flavor to the
0: um
2: to the pepper, and then it's yeah, cute.
0: I mean, there's garlic. So the so so the harissa olive oil that oh, we have yeah. reminds you of that experience.
2: That's cool it
0: does. It does. Yeah. It's um I've got a little bit
2: so uh, of a excited to now I'm excited to check out the other the other pepper because the, oh, yes, the, the quality yes. of the peppers grown like overseas, especially in like North Africa. I don't know if you could even replicate them here because I think Maybe it not. has a lot to do with weather and terroir.
0: Um, maybe so. you should you need to try you need to try that one then out of curiosity just to to bookend that note on on harissa um harissa is hard to get and that have it Mm. taste good because usually uh if you're using a fresh oil the oil will go rancid sitting next to or in a jar so they usually use a refined oil and so it just doesn't have the dynamic but um here's an example of how you can have an olive oil that has those flavors um the one that we have is flavored with uh Tunisian chili peppers, cumin, coriander, garlic, and caraway. And it's shelf-stable um, because we don't have the organic particulate in it, but all those flavors reside in it. Uh, one of the favorite pairings with that that might take you by surprise is harissa and coconut white balsamic. Oh, interesting. Uh, uh, oh, uh, a, interesting. A, a Simply a uh, chicken and broccoli with harissa and coconut is fantastic. Absolutely hmm. fantastic. Uh, we we hear ideas from customers all the time, uses and pairings that surprise us. Still, because uh, you know, with over seventy five things to try, uh, yeah. just do the math on the potential pairing. <laughs> Some of them work better than others, of course, but there there are a lot of flavors that marry uh, unexpectedly. Yeah, but
2: harissa harissa loves orange
0: as hmm. well. So, Ooh, I bet you. Then um, I wonder. If we should try harissa and honeybell orange white balsamic. I bet and that'd I'm be good.
2: Definitely try that because one of the first things so I brought home bags of dried chili. Well, they sell like a, a the chilies for sure. Um in in Tunisia in the markets. And I don't I brought home at least a pound of
1: these <laughs> chilies because I'm like,
2: I don't even know. I don't know if it's available at home. And I would reconstitute them. With garlic, for sure, and make the paste. Um, I didn't really figure out the spice blend until later. But that, if you reconstitute the chilies with orange juice Ooh, um, and then some olive oil and garlic and spread it like on the inside or under the skin of a chicken or um, on the outside, oh, it'll oh. burn a little. Um, it was phenomenal.
0: Um, phenomenal. And
2: that had to have come. I don't, I don't think that was me and an original idea at all. I'm sure that that was something I... Tasted um, while we were there, Um, but that I was
0: obsessed with
2: creosote orange. <laughs> sorry, I,
0: pulling back to sorry. earlier. I think I was just gnawing off Matt's arm because <laughs> 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 that, that sounds really. I think we found the perfect we pairing. I think we've.
1: I think we figured it okay. out, guys. Whoever's listening this needs to listen <laughs> to the At the last second, so we, it we figured sense. it out. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It yeah. all
1: comes back to cannibalism. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So. Oh, I, my. It's uh, time for the most important question we are going to ask in a, in every podcast. Where can people find find your find your works? Find you yeah. either in both, real life, oh. in, in online real life, online. and yeah. also in the digital world.
0: Okay, well, um, uh, in, in, this is a Milwaukee podcast, so uh, if the word isn't fully out. Once uh, we were at the beginning of COVID, we went from four stores to two because two of our leases were at decision time and that's worked out really well. So we've made our stand successfully at the Milwaukee Public Market downtown, Uh, right? When you come in the north door, we're right there to the right with all the big silver tanks. You can try everything Mm -hmm. in in both stores and that's 400 North Water Street. And then uh, we also have a location in Brookfield that is on the north side of Blue Mound Road just east of Calhoun. It's uh, considered Brookfield Fashion Center, but you can see our sign from the road, Oro. Um, so those are the two places where we basically have a huge tasting room where you can try any of these combinations as many times as you want for free. And if you find something that you like, we bottle it up for you on the spot, and and away you go. Um, when it comes to online, the website is oro de Oliva spelled dot com, And everything is available there uh, for selection with nice descriptions and suggested pairings. And my wife, Nicole, has worked really hard on the recipe side of the website. So if you're like, well, what do you use this for? Uh, I, I, it's a cool flavor, but what would you do? We've got a lot of uh, suggestions there and nice recipes for you. Um, and, and by the way, the name... Oro de Oliva. Oliva. A lot of people just call us Oro. <laughs> yeah. Oro in many languages is gold. Uh, way back in like, uh, whatever it was, BC, Homer used the expression liquid gold as it related to olive oil. So it's a play off of that gold of the olive, Oro de Oliva. And, uh, yeah, we hope that you, if you haven't tried or heard about it or said, how good can that be? Hopefully this discussion stimulated some interest. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And you, you used to do classes. Um, that probably took a pause for a moment. Um, it did, like it tasting. did,
0: but it, it is something it that we'd back. like to do again. Yeah. And if we announce that we would do so, uh, in a newsletter and so you can easily sign up for that on the website as well, or in store, and it'd be great to get back into doing that. Cause then, you know, in real time we can explore, uh, what you're tasting and why it tastes that, that way. And, uh, be careful if you do that, there's no turning back. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yeah. That's no. good, <laughs>
2: Mm. I can totally see that. So, mm. well, thank you so, so much. Um, thank you. I didn't, um, I didn't get to my question of what is your favorite olive oil, but um, maybe we'll save that for, you know, another time.
0: <laughs> Honestly, I'm in agreement with you. The two cultivars that, that I find the most yeah. interesting in an extra virgin is yeah. the uh, Picual, followed by mm. the ojiblanca, which can be really amazing. Um, those are my two favorite extra virgin olive oils. If there was an oil that I couldn't live without at home that was flavored, of all things, I never thought I would say Mm -hmm. it. It is the agramado whole fruit jalapeno. Uh, It tastes like an intense bell pepper with a little glow, and it flavor enhances so many things from you know, from eggs to roasted vegetables. If I had to run out of the burning store with one last bottle, it would be of jalapeno. <laughs> yeah, uh, not, let's not answer. have yeah. that scenario play out. Um, that's, yeah, that's, that's what i read for. <laughs> all right. All right.
1: We, we definitely don't, no one, no one burned down any of the stores though. We don't. We no, don't. There's, no lamp,
0: <laughs> there's no lamp, no lamp there. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no. No. No.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for, for truly, I mean, I'm literally going to use olive oil later tonight for cooking. And <laughs> I have learned so much more about it today. Um, so thank you so much for, for opening my
0: eyes to the, to the olive. Well, thanks Matt. And thanks for the invite, Laurie. This was yeah. fun.
2: Of course. And thank you for doing what you do. Cause that's a, it makes it a whole lot easier <laughs> having something like this close to home. So thank you. Thank you guys very
1: much. Like call on a podcast. An outstanding conversation about oil. I did not know that I would learn this much about (laughs) oil. And it's just it is one of those things you don't think about oil that much, you know? A lot of times it's very easy to just treat it as like uh, a tool, as opposed to an ingredient yeah. in its own right. I would agree. Um, so it's kind of it's kind of really fun. The only time I really thought that hard about oil before was when I ran out yeah. of olive oil and went to the store, and then you just see all these options, and you're just like, I and don't so know. So few what
2: of any them are of this good. Means. Yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm so yeah. scared by this wall. I know it's true. And I don't know what's good, and I don't know what's bad. Um, I just. <laughs> But uh, we'll okay. tell you who's good. Yeah. Is, is that and, I, and
2: I can't believe it. Is I've been saying, saying their right name here. wrong this entire time. Yeah. yeah. And now I don't know if I can, because all I see is. Like, so you say it. It's Oro de Oliva. Oro, Oro de, de Oliva. It's Oro, Oliva. Oro de Oliva. Yes. And I don't know. Yeah, Oliva. Oliva. I'm just not going to say it the other way. Oro <laughs> de Oliva. <laughs> I introduced it wrong. Um, well, but. Well, the, but you I know what? You did but you know what? In the end, it doesn't matter. I mean, I think I think we learned more about olive yes. oil in an hour, and I think anyway. Like I've talked to Josh before, and you cannot get away from him without learning something. So if you happen to catch him in a store <laughs> and strike up a conversation, I mean, I don't know. I feel like there's like a lifetime of olive oil talk left at him. So.
1: Oh yeah, that 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 olive has not no, been no. fully pressed yet. Um, um, but uh, yeah, so again, we are not doing food porns right now. We are we are figuring out what is next for the end of these podcasts. But in the meantime, one thing that does stay consistent is that me and Lori tell you where you can find the Food do, Crush podcast. Do. Lori, where can people find the yeah, Food Crush well, you podcast? Find the podcast? But you can also
2: find us on social, and we are on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Food Crush Pod. And how about you? But Lori, where can people find you? <laughs> Nowhere. <laughs> yeah, no. I beat you too. Right? No, I'm also <laughs> on
1: um, all of those same media at Low Frederick.
2: And how about you, Matt?
1: Uh, you can find me at A Man About Film on Facebook and Twitter, and on Instagram. Technically. I've, you know what, I'm the worst modern day journalist because I have actually vowed to use Twitter less in 2023.
2: I haven't vowed that yet, though. Yeah.
1: It's, it's going to happen whether. In the in the Elon Musk of the past month, I decided to delete the app off my phone. I'm not off Twitter completely. I'm still on it. Like I, I still use it, but I just got tired of also like the doom scrolling and just scrolling around on it Twitter. Has, it has and like gone losing the way that Facebook went. Like two years ago.
2: And so far as I'm just
1: can't Yeah, I just can't be on that website that long because then I just start spiraling <laughs> in depression <laughs> and, and, that's and getting concerned about things. To turn away. Yeah, so uh, that that the Elon Musk of it all. Elon uh, Musk, Elon Musk
2: has always, that his name, has always reminded me of some sort of maybe not good, but very expensive cologne. Okay. He's he's he appropriately of Elon named. Musk. He's like <laughs> it would be
1: some, I don't know. His his vibe is very accurately cur- captured yeah, by yeah. his name. Yeah, Elon Musk. <laughs> um, he's he's tragic. But this is not an Elon Musk and, podcast. And I, this is a food crush <laughs> podcast. So Well,
2: yeah, let's not let's not give him any more
1: let's not silly this wonderful podcast with us beating up on elon musk for an hour because trust us we We would would if we could so instead yeah thank Thank you you all so much yes instead thank you so much to our guests thank you so much to you who listen and thank you to our producer producer gabe thank you as always to my co-host Lori, and one uh, as always one more thank you to you our dear listeners Uh, thank you so much for listening and interacting and joining us on these food
2: explorations
1: (laughs) yes this was an intense and deep conversation this was dense this was denser than the most virgin of olive oils
2: the most densest of densities I think
1: we should end here before I start ruining grammar anymore so thank you all for listening as always and one more time keep cooking with olive oil.